No, this is not my clever way of announcing my wife and I are expecting. <laughs> no to the no-no. We've got uh, three wonderful children, and we're going to stop right there. But I brought this crib out because we're going to use that later. That's going to be at the end, so just remember that. And then I also have up here a, uh, a bag of sand and a bag of concrete, and we're going to get to those in a little bit. I'm wearing a T-shirt that says, Get Used to Different. And if you think this is going to be the, Chris, the typical Christmas message before Christmas, you better get used to different, okay? You need to buckle up because it's, it's, I'm preaching. I'm just going to say that. Anyway, I came across this phrase, get used to different, watching a TV show called The Chosen. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's a TV show about Jesus and his disciples. And you might be thinking, oh, I don't know, a show, Christians try to do TV and movies, it's kind of cheesy. Not cheesy. It's well done. It's excellent. I would encourage you to watch it. You can uh, download it for free. It's an app on your phone, and if you're near your TV, you can just stream it right to your TV. I'd encourage you to download it today and check out a couple episodes. Uh, they're about 30 minutes long. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And so, anyway, I'm watching the show. I'm watching season one. There's a couple seasons already. And in season one, we are introduced to Jesus. He's 30 years old. He's starting his ministry. And he's going around, and he's calling different disciples. And some of the first disciples he calls, he calls Simon, who we also know as Peter, and he calls his brother Andrew, and Simon and Andrew are both fishermen. And he also calls James and John, they're brothers as well, and they're fishermen. So these two sets of brothers are being called uh, by Jesus. And the miracle that happens with Simon is that he's out fishing one night, and he's, the whole night he's fishing, he doesn't catch any fish. And he comes back in the next morning, and Jesus is on the shore, and Jesus says, I want you to go out a little bit further and, and cast the net one more time. And Simon's like, I've been fishing all night long, but because you say so, I'll go ahead and do that. And so that's what he does. He, he casts the net out and gathers all this fish, and it's a miracle. And Jesus turns to Simon, and he says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And so Simon and Andrew begin to follow Jesus, and James and John, they begin to follow Jesus. And there's another character we're introduced to uh, in the first season, and his name is Matthew. And we know Matthew is the disciple who wrote the book of Matthew. But at the time, Matthew was a tax collector, and he was despised by the Jews. Matthew was a Jew working for the Romans to take money from Jewish people. And while he was very wealthy because the Romans paid him well, the Jews despised him, and they considered his money blood money. And whenever these four disciples would see Matthew walking through the town, they would just look at him with disdain. They, they just couldn't stand him. And so Matthew starts to hear the words of Jesus, and he's intrigued. And he has to watch from afar because he can't get close because no one will allow him to get close because he's a tax collector. And near the end of season one, Jesus is walking through the town, and Matthew's working in his tax booth. And there are several disciples that Jesus has called now, and they're following with him. And Jesus kind of pauses in front of the tax booth. And this kind of catches the disciples off guard. And he looks at Matthew, and he says, follow me. And Matthew begins to put his stuff up to follow Jesus. And Simon says, whoa, whoa, Jesus, uh, this doesn't make any sense. This is Matthew. And Jesus said, Simon, when I called you, it didn't make any sense. And Simon said, yeah, but this is different. He's a tax collector. And Jesus looked Simon right in the eyes and he said, get used to different. And when I heard that phrase, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Because following Jesus is supposed to be different. And it's supposed to be that we're to get used to different. You know, the disciples only knew Jesus for a few months, and they'd already put him in a box. These are the people you can call to follow you, Jesus, and these are the people, like Matthew, who aren't allowed. 
how many times do we put Jesus in a box? Is this Christmas season going to be like so many others? And we set up the tree, we buy the presents, we cook the food, and we have family over. And those are all good things. I'm doing those things. Do those things. But it feels like Jesus gets shortchanged. It's like an, oh, by the way, thanks, Jesus, for being born. Is 2022 going to be the same old, same old? Are you willing to open up your heart and say, Jesus, be different in my life? Here's what the Bible says about us being different. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When you choose to follow Jesus, life is going to be different. As I was thinking about different, I was thinking about the last two years. Couldn't we all agree the last two years in our country has kind of been pretty different? So if you go back almost two years ago to March of 2020, the nation's locked down, the world's locked down because of the coronavirus and all the pain and suffering and tragedy that's happened since then. And here we are two years later and we're still arguing. Vaccine, no vaccine. Get a booster, don't get a booster. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. What should be maybe a medical issue has become a political issue. And as I was thinking about this, I was pondering a few months ago, we've gone into this weird season in our nation where now we have pro-choice people telling unvaccinated people what to do with their bodies. And I'm like, what's going on? And the unvaccinated people are saying, my body, my choice. And the pro-choice people are going, whoa, 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 that's our line. Right? And they're saying, it's not just about your body, it's how it impacts others. And the pro-life people are going, hold on, that's our line. I'm not here to talk pro-choice or pro-life or vaccination. Some of you are about to get riled up. I could feel it. Simmer down. I am going to rile you up later. Guaranteed, I got your back. All right? I just bring that up because we have entered the twilight zone of different and weird in our nation. And it just kept going. Of course, in May of 2020, there was a tragedy with George Floyd. And there was a national conversation with the black community and the police force. And there were a lot of peaceful protests. There were a lot of peaceful protests, but then it devolved into riots and looting and police officers being injured and killed, protesters being injured and killed, and, and, and even more division. And then there was the election of 2020, and that solved all our problems, right? Right, right. Even, even more division and, and the counting of ballots and mail-in ballots and voter fraud, and, and, and that all happened. And then in January of 2021, just this year, there was the, the runoff in Georgia, and the two Democrat senators won. And so now the Senate was tied 50-50 in the Houses, 219 to 214 Democrats, Republicans. I mean, it just crazy divided. And the troubles continued as the year progressed. Of course, there was the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan and that whole situation. Issues at the southern border. Inflation that we're still dealing with now. You've probably seen you know, school boards and parents arguing over critical race theory and mask mandates and just everything. And if all this wasn't bad enough... To top it all off, the Kardashians are still on TV. <laughs> right? They, they ended their 20-year reality show only to sign on with Disney for a multi-year project to have global impact. Right. We've gone from Jesus come quickly to Jesus come right now. <laughs> this led me to think about foundations. So 
when my kids were little, we got this green sandbox. It's like a turtle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I love that thing. Uh, you know, the, the shell would come off as the top of it. You could put five or six bags of sand in, and you could cover it up at night or whatever, and kids would be playing in the sandbox. It's just great. But if you're building a foundation, you don't have sand. You get concrete. It's a solid foundation. And over the last two years, there's some foundations in my life that have just been shaken to the core, and, and maybe they're the same for you, maybe different ones. I wanted to mention three real quick that have been shaken to the core for me. One of the foundations that's been shaken to the core is this nation. I love living in this nation. I'm thankful that I was born in the United States of America. I, I love our freedoms. I love the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And you can love all those things and still admit we have issues in our country at the same time. And yet, if you're over 40, the country you grew up in is not the country of today. And that's kind of shaking me to the core. And, and the younger generation says, you know what? It's a good thing it's getting shaken to the core. We need to rip the foundation off. And when I hear that, I'm like, okay, how are we going to rebuild? And when I hear the answers of how we're going to rebuild, that's what really scares me. And, and so that's, that's shaking me to the core. I don't know about you. And then tied in with that is our political system. Now, I know politics is, is messed up, but the idea of an executive branch and a legislative branch and a judicial branch and, and, and working together, staying in their lane, but they don't stay in their lane anymore. They cross over, and it's become corrupt and messed up. And it's both sides of the aisle, both sides of the aisle. Here's what happens. Politicians get voted into office, and this is their net worth. And when they leave, this is their net worth. I, I thought they were called to be civil servants. That, that, doesn't, make, that doesn't make sense to me. It's just, it's just, and then there was, it was messed up before the election. It's been messed up after the election. And there's just division in our country when it comes to politics. And that's been, that's been shaken to the core for me. And then the third thing is the news. Some of you know this. Back in the day, there were just three news stations. It was ABC, CBS, and NBC. Peter Jennings, Dan Rather, Tom Brokaw. They came on at 530 at night, and they talked about the world news. And for the most part, it wasn't slanted. It was just like, here's the news. You watched it, and then at 6 o'clock, sitting around the dinner table, you talked about what one of these guys was sharing at the news. But now today, it's totally slanted. It's to the right or to the left. They go out and find their 30-second soundbite. They find the video clip, and they show it to you. And basically, they're saying, this is how we want you to think. Sometimes I think the news needs a 10-day quarantine period. You know what I mean? Because they show me something on day one, and anymore, I don't even respond. I'm like, let's wait till day seven. Because by day seven, they've talked to three or four eyewitnesses, and they've got 22 different camera angles, and now we actually know the story. And so these things have just been, been shaken for me. And through it all, I'm like, Lord, help me, because it's discouraging. I could start DA, Discouraged Anonymous. You know, at AA, you go to the meeting, and the guy says, Hi, I'm Bill, and I'm an alcoholic, and everybody says, Hi, Bill. But if this was a big DA meeting, I would walk in and say, Hi, I'm Jeff, and I'm discouraged. And you would say, Hi, Jeff. Oh, my gosh. We're going to try it again because that was horrible, all right? Now I'm really discouraged, all right? Hi, I'm Jeff, and I'm discouraged. Now I feel better. I was wondering how I get a whole room of people to say my name. There you go. I was discouraged. God has been helping me realize 
that all of these foundational things that I've just mentioned are actually shifting sands. And that's hard to hear. I know you don't want to hear that, but that's hard to hear. Don't get me wrong. We need to continue to pray for our nation, pray for our leaders, and be informed of what's going on. But what happens if our nation and our system and our news never recover? What happens to your faith? What happens to your foundation? Do you become depressed and distraught and discouraged? Or do you begin to realize, as God has been helping me realize, that there's only one foundation that is solid and eternal, and his name is Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. I want you to travel back with me to 28 A.D. We don't know exactly when Jesus started his ministry, somewhere between 28 and 30 A.D. But in 63 B.C., the Romans came in and occupied Israel. So by the time Jesus starts his ministry, Rome has been there about 90 years. Jesus has seen Roman soldiers. He's seen Roman brutality. He's seen Roman tax system. He's seen it all. He's grown up his whole life. Rome is always there occupying Israel. And the people of Israel are crying out for a Messiah, the promised Messiah, but they want the Messiah to come and be a king and take over and kick Rome out and become the nation of Israel. And Jesus rolls into the scene. He is the Messiah. He actually has the power and authority to call down legions of angels and say, go get them. But he doesn't do that. In fact, if you read the Gospels, he hardly ever mentions Rome or the Roman occupation. He wasn't trying to free the nation of Israel at that time. Not in the way they thought. You see, Jesus was about building the kingdom of God. One heart, one life at a time. Changing us from the inside out as the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and we repent and put our faith and trust in Christ and it emanates out from there to our spouse, our children, our parents, our neighbors, from there. And so he spends his whole time building the kingdom of God and he's not really worried about the nation of Israel. Not only that, he's not worried about the political system. Back in those days, politics and religion were intertwined heavily. And there were different religious groups, but there were two major parties. Does that sound familiar? There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were part of a council called the Council of Sanhedrin. And they made all the decisions for the people of Israel when it came to life and and faith. Jesus doesn't try to become a Pharisee or a Sadducee. In fact, many times he calls them out for their self-righteous hypocrisy. And he does so, so many times that they begin to turn against him. He's not worried about being part of the political system. He's just building the kingdom of God. And then when it comes to the news, well, certainly the news about Jesus is good news if your life has been changed. But for the leaders, those people in authority, he was bad news. And so they would try to spread misinformation and disinformation. And Jesus wasn't worried about those things either. Why? Because those kingdoms are shifting sands. His kingdom is eternal. It lasts forever. You see, if the nation is against the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God still thrives. If the political system is against the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God still thrives. If the news is against the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God still thrives. How do we know? Because the Roman Empire is no more. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they're no more. The disinformation campaign to stop the spread of Christianity, well, it failed horribly. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still talking about the king and the kingdom of God. In this series, we've been asking questions, do you hear what I hear? 
do you see what I see? And today we're asking, do you know what I know? What do we know about this king and his kingdom? Here's what it says, Isaiah 9. Isaiah has several prophecies about Jesus and the Messiah. And I love this passage of scripture. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Let that sink in for a moment. The government will be upon his shoulders. I think too many times, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're worried about what's going on in D.C. instead of asking what's going on with J.C. Have you heard the news out of D.C.? Have you read the word about J.C.? Are we serving D.C.? Are we serving J.C.? What kingdom are you building? The true king is building his kingdom. And Jesus will come back one day. And when he does, he isn't picking sides. He's taking over. I was thinking about this. It's not Republican Jesus. It's not Democrat Jesus. It's King Jesus. And you can run up to him and say, oh, you've been so proud of me, Jesus. I was part of the conservative movement all my life. And he's going to ask you one question. Did you build my kingdom? Lord, I was part of the progressive movement all my life. Did you build my kingdom? Well, boy, I was really giving him the what for on social media when it came to politics and my views. Did you build my kingdom? Are we in the business of building his kingdom? Brothers and sisters in Christ, he's calling us to be different and to get used to different. Are you busy building the kingdoms of this world or his kingdom? What else do we know about this king? It says that he's our wonderful counselor and he will be called wonderful counselor. We get counsel from family. We get counsel from friends. We get counsel from each other, Christians, from coworkers, from financial planners, from professional counselors and that's fine but nothing is as deep and meaningful and life-changing as counsel from jesus have you spent time in his word this week to get counsel have you spent time praying and listening to get his counsel have you asked him to guide you to get his counsel i was thinking about this when a student came up to me last week and the student said i got my report back from spotify spotify is a music app but it also has other things on it but it's mainly a music app and at the end of each year, Spotify will, will send you a note letting you know how much you've listened to Spotify that year. And the student said, Spotify said, I've listened 30 days this year. 30 days in 2021. So I started doing the math. To listen to Spotify for 30 days, how much would you have to listen every day? It's 118 minutes, almost two hours a day. And you might be thinking, oh, these teens, these young people listen to Spotify for two hours a day. Well, before you get on your high horse and ride off into the sunset, Pharisee or Sadducee, you watched two hours of Netflix last night. Mm-hmm, right, right, mm-hmm. Before we judge the youngins, start judging ourselves first, right? And so as I was thinking about this, the Holy Spirit started tapping on my heart. So, hey, Jeff, do you spend two hours reading my word and listening to me and getting counsel? I was like, no. Do you spend an hour? No. I'm good if I get 15 minutes in a day. To put that in perspective, there's 1,440 minutes in a day. 1% of our day is 14 minutes and 40 seconds. Let's just round it up to 15 minutes. How many days have I gone and I can't even give him 1% of my day? Too many. How many days have you gone and you can't even give him 1%? Too many. 
We say that we love Jesus. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's wonderful counselor. He means everything to me. And then the Holy Spirit says, well, can you give me 15 minutes a day? And we're like, nope, I'm building my kingdoms. Here's what it says in Matthew after he finished the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. We quote Jesus' words 2,000 years later because he's a wonderful counselor. But we can miss it. You can get caught up in what the talking heads on the news are saying or the people are posting on social media. So all I'm saying is that we would slow down and ask the wonderful counselor to speak to you and me. What do we know about this king? It goes on to say this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. You might think with all the division in this country, how can he be mighty? Here's how mighty he is. Is it possible that we've been so busy building these kingdoms and not building his kingdom that he allowed all these kingdoms to be shaken and shaken and shaken and you started to lose your footing and you're like, what's going on? I need Jesus. He says, it's about time. It's about time. I need to get your attention. Corey Ten Boom, who was captured by the Nazis and held in a concentration camp, just an just awesome Christian lady, had this to say. You don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Is it possible that he's been rocking your kingdoms so you'll finally say, Jesus is all I have? And how do you know what foundation you've been standing on? What do you talk about? Here's what the scripture says about our words. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What do you talk about? Do you find yourself talking more about the kingdom of God or the kingdoms of this world? Now, let me clarify. I'm not saying that you have to mention Jesus 24-7. What I am saying is does your faith bubble up in your conversation? For example, you're at the store. You see a friend. Hey, how you doing? And they say, well, I'm not doing so well. I just found out my uncle's in the hospital. Do you say, I believe in the power of prayer. Would it be okay if I prayed for your uncle? I'm telling you, 99.9% of the time, if you ask someone, can I pray for a family member or friend, they're going to say yes. I said, well, sure, you can pray for my uncle. What's his first name? Well, it's Jim. Well, I'll be praying for Uncle Jim. Does that even come up? When someone has a need in their life, do you even bring up your faith and prayer? It's not like you forced it on them. They brought the need to you. Do you bring it up? And if you miss it, what's going on? Maybe you're at work at some of the employees are talking about kind of cutting some corners and you're like hey hold on we shouldn't cut corners and they're like well the customer's not going to find us it doesn't matter this is a character issue. this is an integrity issue this is about us if the shoe were on the other foot we'd want them to treat us with character and integrity does your faith bubble up you know when you're hanging out with your friends and maybe every other word is bleep this and bleep that and bleep 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 do you not talk like that Or do you find yourself talking just like that? And you might think they're just words. They're just words. But here's a word. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his possession, that we may proclaim proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his light. Does his word take precedent over your word? I thought we were called to be different. I thought we were called to be different. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, when do we start being different? This was made so noticeable to me during the election year. From August to November, man, I was tracking the politics. I was watching the cable news every night. I was reading the polls. There's this website called Real Clear Politics, and it tells you all the polls, and I was tracking those. I was listening to the stump speeches. I was watching the debates. I was talking politics with people. And the whole time I'm doing that, Jesus is just kind of in the background. I'm not really thinking about my relationship with him. It's, it's, it's an election year. It's politics. And so when it's all said and done and the election's over and it's now like December of last year, God started tapping me on the shoulder. So what's going on? I said, well, man, I, I was tracking the, you know, politics for a long time. And he said, did I call you to follow D.C. or did I call you to follow J.C.? And this is me. Well, technically speaking, you called me to follow Jesus. But, Lord, it was an election year. And I know you're thinking, you actually gave technicality to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? I did. That's super lame. You're right. And some of you do the exact same thing when God presses you on issues. You bring up your technicalities. And so he gently said, let's try this again. Did I call you to serve D.C. or J.C.? I said, I'm sorry, God, you've called me to serve Jesus Christ. He said, well, let's get back to building the kingdom of God. See, I was missing it. I forgot about mighty Jesus. How mighty is Jesus? Here's what it says in Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Let's pause right there. The name that is above every name. Jesus is above the president and the vice president and the senators, and the House of Representatives, and the superstars, and the celebrities, and the CEOs, and the prime ministers, and parliament, and the kings, and the dictators. You, you can name whoever you want. He's above them. And sometimes you hear when a celebrity walks in the room that, that the commanding presence. When Jesus walks in the room, he commands everyone's presence. When Jesus walks in the room, every knee is going to bow. He's the name above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every knee will bow. His might, His glory, His power will be so awesome and overwhelming that everyone will bow whether they follow Jesus or not. What do we know about this King? We also know that He's the everlasting Father. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. This reference to Father isn't speaking of the Trinity, because in the Trinity, Jesus is the Son. This verse is speaking about a protector, someone who watches over us for eternity. Sometimes we wonder, who's got my back? Who's helping me, guiding me, strengthening me? His name is Jesus. Here's what the Scripture says. And I am sure of this. And he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.6. Jesus, everlasting protector. He started the good work in you and will carry it on to completion. What's the last thing we know about this king? For today we know that he is the prince of peace. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. One day, Jesus will return and establish peace throughout the world. But in the meantime, he wants to establish peace in your heart. Peace isn't the absence of storms, but a calmness inside of you in the midst of the storms. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In a day when our nation is divided, our political system is divided, and our news is divided, would you call out to the Prince of Peace to guard your heart and mind? And now, I want to get to the crib. We're closing here. In 2006, a movie came out called Talladega Nights. If you haven't seen Talladega Nights, you're probably the better off for it. <laughs> it was a, a movie with Will Ferrell. Some people say, I look like Will Ferrell. I'll take the glasses off real quick, and you can decide for yourself. Probably not. Okay. Um, anyway, in this movie, he's a race car driver, and his name, as only in Will Ferrell fashion can be, is Ricky Bobby. Um, and so... There's a scene where the camera comes in on his house, and it's, it's a just mansion. He's super wealthy. And it goes into the dining table, and there's KFC and Taco Bell and McDonald's sitting on the table. And there's Ricky Bobby with his wife and his kids and his father-in-law and his best friend, who's also a race car driver. And he says, I'm going to say grace now. So he starts to say grace. Baby Jesus, thank you for this delicious KFC and Taco Bell mcdonald's baby jesus thank you for my great looking wife baby jesus thank you for my children baby jesus thank you for my father-in-law baby jesus thank you for my best friend and finally his wife was like can can we stop praying to baby jesus he's like listen when you say grace you can pray to whatever jesus you want to but i pray to baby jesus and it keeps on going and i was i was thinking about baby jesus and christmas and the crib for those of you that have had small children a baby you know getting them to sleep is one of the hardest things right and so you take them into the room you got the soft music playing you're rocking them and you finally see them start to go to sleep and you realize if you make any noise it's going to wake that baby up so your ninja skills go into overdrive and you reach down and perfectly set the baby in there and you're like voila it doesn't wake up right now You have to get across the floor, but the floor's got creaks in it, so now you've got to do the special ninja walk across the floor, right? The baby doesn't wake up. Voila. Now you have to go outside the door, and you know if that door creaks, baby's going to wake up. So you've sprayed the hinges of that door with WD-40 like eight times, right? It smells like WD-40. You don't care. That door's not making any sounds. And so you get through the door. Voila. You leave it to crack just open so you can check on the baby. And of course, you've got the baby monitor. And then there's always that one spot in the hallway. If you hit that one spot, the baby's going to wake up. So you're like, da 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 You know, and you jump over the spot. And then you're like, now I can go watch TV. So I was thinking about that. I was thinking about baby Jesus. Because I think sometimes, I know I do this, I don't know about you. I think we put baby Jesus in the crib. And we're like, I'll come check on you later. And we ninja walk over to the kingdoms of this world. And we're about building our kingdoms. Don't worry, Jesus, I'll come back and check on you. It's like we forgot that he grew up. He became the son of man and the son of God. He's fully human and fully divine. He's a king building his kingdom, and we are his servants. Here's what it says one last time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this Saturday, celebrate Christmas. 
celebrate the birth of Jesus, but don't leave him in the crib. Not only does he want to be different in your life, he wants you to get used to different. Let's pray. Father, in just a moment, we're going to take communion as an opportunity to reflect upon our relationship with you. And God, as we've been talking about this today, maybe some folks in this room have realized they've been spending too much time on the kingdoms of this world and you're calling them back gently to the kingdom of God. Lord, help us to be about celebrating King Jesus and the kingdom of God. Begin to change us from the inside out. God, help us to offer ourselves up and say, would you begin to be different in me and help me to get used to different so you can use me to see my family, my friends, my coworkers, my neighbors, one to Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.